Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Nick Bradley. How are you, Nick? Shahid, I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's, it's my pleasure. So I'm so happy to have you on there. I know we were talking about your camera quality, but you know, we had to bring it on air. It's just phenomenal. I love the quality and I appreciate you being on the show. Um, you're, you're calling in from UK as well. UK, right? That's right. I'm um, pretty much two hours north of London in a tiny little village, which was founded by the Romans in the 10th century. <laughs> so beautiful. It's very old architecture. Old, old yeah. architecture. That's beautiful. I love and that. And horses in fields. And to be honest, I've lived in so many big cities around the world. I was in Sydney for a number of years in New York and to some extent London. But I, I, I sort of got sick of big cities and just wanted a little bit more uh, escape around nature and those sort of things. Yeah, that's what for us, that's everything. Nature's everything for us as well. We're out on the outskirts from GTA, from Toronto area, uh, you know, big piece of land and away from everybody and nature. And, and, and we'll see a lot of wild animals here as well. Amazing. So I love, I love hearing about nature. <laughs> um, so tell us more about what you do, what you're involved with, please. Yeah, sure. So I'm a business growth expert. I've done various what we call turnarounds and scale-ups. So growth and scale-ups of businesses that are generally investor-backed. So I've spent the last decade working with private equity firms around the world. Uh -huh. Some of the world's biggest ones, actually. And for people who don't understand that, that sort of uh, environment, it's where you have high net worth individuals, private investors, sometimes institutions like pension funds or um, university alumni. They put their, their capital into, into private equity and those firms then go and deploy that capital into businesses that are either not uh, performing as they should. So they're what we call subscale or sometimes they'll invest in one business and then they'll buy two or three other businesses in a similar sector or geography in that niche and then the sort of one plus one equals 11 comes up because they then create significant more value by combining these different assets. And so, and so I spent the last decade being the guy that would go into these, what we call them portfolio companies owned by private, in, private equity backers. And um, I would be charged with effectively growing them, scaling them over a three year period to, to in some cases double, if not triple the value. Um, so that's what I've been doing for most of my career. Before that, it was, it was in corporate and some of the biggest companies in the world. So I've had a, a fun journey, you know, in these 46 years. Wow, that, <laughs> that sounds exciting. So does it matter what industry it is or you're just looking at assets that you could just uh, bring out in, into light and make it successful? I look at, I look at the, um, the mechanics of a business. So the uh -huh. sector doesn't make a difference. The industry doesn't matter. There are... I, I actually coined it. There are six characteristics. I call it six peaks of, of value that companies that are, that are doing extraordinarily well uh -huh. um, have working in, in some form of unison. And some of those things you would have heard before, like it's um, having a clear purpose behind the business. So that's a combination of the vision. It's uh -huh. the starting point and knowing why all of that matters. And you'd be surprised how many companies that I go into now when you ask the founder, the entrepreneur, so what is it you're doing and why does it matter? And where are you actually going to go? What does this look like over the next few years? You'd be surprised how many people can't answer that properly. Yeah. You know, so we talk about that. We talk about profitability. We talk about the proposition. So in other words, does the business have, um, you know, is it really solving a problem that exists? And that's a big one these days because the world's moving so quickly. 
you'll find that a startup might have um, had its origins in a very clear problem for a certain type of audience or customer that it was solving. And then, you know, things have moved forward so quickly that that problem is now obsolete and there's a new problem. But the issue is that the company that, you know, started solving that problem hasn't realized that. And then all of a sudden they go bust because they haven't been able to, I mean, we call it pivot, but in reality, what it is, is not being externally focused enough on the customers and clients. Mm -hmm. And do you find that it's, it, 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 you see a lot more opportunities now in COVID uh, in your line of work? Do you find yeah, that? Yeah, heaps, heaps. And yeah. I'm conscious of obviously people listening to this are probably thinking about, you know, how they can be diversifying their incomes. I mean, I, I effectively do three separate things. I, I have a, a business now, um, which is called, it's actually called Scale Up Your Business, which is actually the same name as my podcast. Uh, and we go into entities where the founder has the ambition to sell their company for eight to nine figures, usually within a three to five year period. Okay. We have an education part of that, which is the Scale Up Your Business Academy, where we have you know mentorship and education programs. And then the more interesting piece is I have an investment company called The Fielding Group, and we actually go and make our own acquisitions. And this is probably the area that's probably the most interesting for your listeners, because a lot of those deals we're doing, we don't put any of our own capital in. So we're actually getting the companies through what we call a leverage buyout methodology. We're using the assets of a company to buy them. Mm -hmm. And so what you can do these days, particularly now with COVID, is you can find really good companies that for whatever reason, the owner doesn't want to have it anymore. They might be burnt mm -hmm. out, tired, overwhelmed. And you can effectively buy a company using the company's assets. So most people think you've got to put in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, but you don't. So it's a really interesting way of building a wealth portfolio um, away from say traditional employment. And I heard some individuals online, especially some Facebook ads come up recently about, you know, individuals or group of people buying um, failing businesses because of recent, you know, issues that we've been having some of the big brands. I can't remember the names, but there's some, some global names that are being bought on pennies. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, what I do in terms of, um, in my, I've got seven separate companies and some of them are investment vehicles. Some of them are, are more kind of market facing customer facing mm -hmm. is, um, we, we look for profitable businesses. Mm -hmm. So they're not distressed. Okay. Per se. They, they might be stuck. They might not be growing, but they're profitable. They need to have profit. Mm -hmm. We look more at the seller and we look at whether they're distressed or whether they're motivated to sell. Mm -hmm. Quite often, if someone's at retirement age, I mean, it, it, sort of unpack a story of where we are today. You know, a lot of businesses that have just, you know, are going through COVID and mm -hmm. they're stalling, they're going backwards. If you're someone at retirement age and your business, you know, needs to be reinvented again, so it might still be profitable, but it's not growing and it needs another injection of energy and pace and commitment. A lot of people at that age, that's not what they want to do. You know, they, they might have got sick over COVID, they might have lost you know, friends, family, the last mm. thing they want to do is have a ball and chain of a business holding mm. them back. Mm. So the opportunity right now is to go and buy one of those. Yes. And, you know, I've got three of those currently. We've got another two in pipeline. Uh, we aim to have 20 different businesses that we own in the portfolio in the next three years. Um, and that'll be generating um, pretty close to nine figures. So sort of, you know, in the hundreds of millions. That's great. So uh, can anyone actually partake in that as an individual? Yeah. I mean, I, I started off, I mean, I, I'll give you a bit of a backstory to this. So, yeah. so what I, I mentioned before, I worked for 10 years in private equity. So what, what actually happened is I, I started to get very, very frustrated in that environment. It can be a pretty hostile environment. It's very much about money all the time, mm. which 
nothing wrong with creating mm. wealth, but I think it's better to create wealth and also make an impact, a positive mm. impact. Yes. So I launched um, Scale Up Your Business, my podcast that went to uh, number one in the UK in the business charts and number 17 in the US. Uh, and, and it's in 130 countries now. So I'm very Amazing. grateful for the success of that. Yes. Yeah. It's, and you know what? The, the secret source, if you like, of that was two things. It was me unpacking all the years I had in the trenches of running businesses, you know, going through all the challenges, all the opportunities, coming up with those different dimensions, those six peaks. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing I talk a lot about is mindset and the change for me to move out of that really cushy world of private equity, where I was earning lots of money, um, but was quite distressed in that mm-hmm. world was um, facing the fear of, of creating my own set of businesses, you know, off, off my own kind of, of course. Experience. Mm-hmm. Now the reality of it is I had all the experience anyway. I had all the knowledge. I just didn't have maybe the belief at that mm-hmm. point. And so, so what I did after that is I, I changed that and I went away and did some pretty deep personal development and, and now moved into this space. But to your question, I went and found mentors, coaches, people who were a little bit ahead of me in the journey of what I wanted to go in. I had really clear intention of what I wanted to create, but then I went and got next to people who were doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite easy actually for someone to learn mm-hmm. how to buy a business because the information's out there to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone has a, an affinity to that, all they have to do really is just learn and then they have to apply it. And then eventually they'll start to get the result. So it's in a way that how they can participate is they can learn from you through your programs and your mentorship and go on their own to kind of find these deals and start that journey on their own. But is there another way that they could actually come in and be part of what you're doing? for example, buying these companies and say, Hey, do you have like a fund or something set up? Yeah. So I do, I have, I have that, but I think what we try and do is we try and um, deploy as little capital into the acquisition as possible um, because we want to put the investment into the business during the scale up. So the way, Mm. the way the model works is we buy the businesses for let's say around three times profit, which is, which is an acceptable and sort of average rate of what a small business would um, expect to get. So anywhere between two and four times is kind of the range. And then we aim to scale it up and sell it on at a higher multiple, five to six times or more over a three-year period. And what I, to your question again, what um, what I have, a lot of people out there may know of a business that fits the characteristics I'm talking about right now, but they've got no idea what to do. Yes. So what I often say is if people find a business, if they can source a business and they get in touch with me, then we will usually partner with the individual to get the deal done. Okay. And so we don't, there's no charge to work with us, but we, we make sure that we split the equity of the deal. So we become partners in the business and we look for people who are prepared to be on the ground and sort of almost be like a general manager, not necessarily having to run the business in that way, but because I'm an investor based in the UK, it's not practical for me to be going all around the world, even though we have lots of different investments um, on the go all the time in the US and, and we haven't got anything in Canada yet, but um, okay. anywhere across <laughs> that, close to your part of the world anyway. It's close <laughs> enough, yeah, but we maybe I, I want to talk to you about a couple of opportunities offline after the show um, sure. that might be interest of you uh, for you from what I'm listening to and hearing. Um, but this is phenomenal because you're actually not just helping individuals, but you're also helping companies that want to get out. Right. So it's, uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'll give you an idea about the types of businesses because they're not what I would call sexy technology companies. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've invested money in, um, tech startups and I've lost a lot of money. I lost about half a million doing that. 
Um, so these days I look for um, car washes in Texas. Um, li- literally, even through COVID, really um, niche-specific food chains, you uh-huh. know, like um, food restaurants, kind of those sort of things in Florida. We've got a chain of restaurants there we're looking to buy at the moment. Okay. Um, Childcare centers in Chicago. So they're not, you know, when you look at them, you think, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. But you know what? A couple of the car washes we looked at in Texas, going for 20 years, stable client base, mm-hmm. not very well run from a marketing perspective, mm-hmm. generating lots of cash. Mm-hmm. So, you know, straight away, there's no risk on those businesses unless you come in there and, and you haven't understood the model. But more often than not, these businesses are, are suboptimal just simply because a 60 or 70 year old business owner doesn't know how to do any progressive marketing. It's not their fault. Yeah. Just, so, you know, you come in and you, you, you build a better website and start doing some social yeah. media work and all of a sudden you can start to, you know, drive those businesses very quickly. So what's the difference between in, in your line of work from startup and scale up? Yeah. So, so startup, the way I define this, and there's a couple of different kind of nuances, right? Mm-hmm. Startup is usually quite fun, but chaotic. It's usually very creative, <laughs> right? And, and actually, I'd go as far as to say that there's a different identity of the entrepreneur who's great at startup versus someone who's great at scale up. Because the transition is this, that when you, when you start to get growth, and you, and you start to um, need to kind of uh, build more complexity into your business, mm-hmm. the only way out of that is to provide structure and process. And a lot of really creative entrepreneurs don't like working with structure. They find it boring and they find process boring. But as you start to bring people into an organization, you start to build teams, you work with more suppliers, you have the complexity of more customers. If you don't get precision all the way through from how you acquire customers to how you fulfill, to how you manage finances, all of those things. If you start, don't start to turn the whole business into a machine, then you are going to end up with a business that's plateaued or stalling. Mm. And what I find often, so I get called up all the time by business owners who are absolutely frustrated to hell. You, you know, like they're like, I had this business, it's grown to might even be seven figures. You know, it might be turning over sort of early millions in revenue. Mm-hmm. And then they haven't grown for six months or longer. And they come to me and say, what am I doing wrong? And more often than not, back to the six peaks piece I was mentioning beforehand, there's one of those six peaks that or often quite more than one that they are not focused on or they don't understand. And it's like a cog in an engine. If one cogs out, the engine doesn't run. Plus and, mindset too, right? Yeah. And they, they start to lose hope. I mean, mm. if you think about it, what's the 3am moment for most of these entrepreneurs? Well, the 3am moment is that they lose everything. And most entrepreneurs, you know, the most important thing for them is freedom. Mm. So they want to create wealth. They want to create time freedom. And if they're suddenly getting pulled into their business where they lose freedom or they think they could lose it, or if they have the ambition to sort of become a multimillionaire one day, that's not going to happen. Imagine how their psychology and their emotional state changes. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And what are the characteristics of um, difference between like a great business and um, versus a good business? Yeah. So great businesses have, have, as I said before, they have a very clear purpose, mission and direction, and they have a plan which is aligned to the objectives and goals which come out of that. And quite often, quite often they're not working to three-year plans. They might have a three to five-year vision of what they're trying to achieve, but they're working to sort of 90-day cadence. So there's a really high level of, you know, we, we understand where we're going, but when we're monitoring the stuff we do daily, weekly, 
you know, in this kind of three month, 90 day formula, which means that they're not giving themselves any, any outs, if you like to relax. So it's incredibly focused. Then they have um, a very clear uh, view of how they're managing their profitability or, or, or more importantly, their resources. So some of the businesses, if they're pre-profit, like some of the tech businesses, mm-hmm. they may not have profit, but they have capital, but they're deploying their capital in a very considered way, which is driving growth. Mm-hmm. And again, it sounds simple, but a lot of people are not structured enough and they're trying to do too many things. And I say there's a power in threes. So focus on three things that are going to get you the result, the best three. Don't focus on the five that are going to kind of get you distracted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they have, as I said, they have a clear proposition which solves an identifiable market problem. And the, the watch out here is lots of business owners, entrepreneurs try and help everybody. But what I say is you've got to mean a lot to somebody, not a, not a little to everyone. Right. So focus niche. Then they have a predictable way of bringing in those customers driving recurring revenue. Uh Then they have processes that underpin the join-ups across all of those various functions within an organization. Mm -hmm. And lastly, maybe most importantly, they have a designed intentional culture, right? Which is underpinned by really clear values and more importantly, behaviors. And they hire to that culture. So they have high high caliber, high capacity professionals in the areas where it matters most. And again, sometimes when you're in startup to scale up to answer your question, you need to say goodbye to some of the people that helped you in the startup phase because they're not going to be the people who are going to take uh, the scale up phase. Hard decisions, right? Yeah, hard decisions. it's hard decisions when you're in but that important. mode. But important. Mm, very important. And what is your definition of a business empire? So, you know what, this gets a bad rap and it's funny, if you ever Google it, like there isn't really a great definition of this. I have my own definition. What what it isn't, what it isn't is um, this kind of negative connotation of of Genghis Khan taking over, you know, massive populations and, you know, everything's about greed and power. Yeah. Um, There are elements of that that come into it, which are negative parts of it. But But I think, and I'll give you my philosophy on it. I think empires... Are, are, are essentially scaled businesses. You know, they're beyond corporates. They are, they're kind of, you know, um, groups of large, if you like, large entities, which are not only generating a heap of value in terms of um, profitability or any of those things, but they're also making a bigger impact. And, you know, you can see the ones that exist these, the, around the world these days. They are the ones that we all know. So you, you start off with Branson and what he created with Virgin. Yes. You've got obviously Apple in its own right as an empire. It's, it's an empire built over its product ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And Amazon is very similar. Mm-hmm. Here's my point. I think, and this is, this is again, I might be a lone, a lone voice in this, but I actually think some of these big business empires have more power to make a positive impact on the world than some of our governments do. And so true. Re- I agree. They've got more money. <laughs> yeah, of course. They can make um, a big positive difference in the world. Right. Yeah, and you start to see some of it, but I think what I would like to be able to um, create as I'm doing what I'm doing is, is, is championing that ideology a little bit more directly. And so for me, an empire is a force for good. And yes. the, more, the more people who have the ambition to create empires to make a bigger societal impact in whatever way that's defined are going to be creating more good things in the world than they're going to be taking away. Yeah, because that's everything, especially nowadays, you know, and that's one of my main purposes now is to create an impact globally. And that's why we started the podcast and everything, because the more people have information about mindset, especially um, during these times, it makes a world of difference between success and not being successful. Right. And a lot of people just to build on that point, because I fully agree, is that people don't set big enough goals. 
Yeah. And I mean, Big, beautiful got, ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a 20 year vision. I know what I'm yeah. trying to do. Right. Yeah. Um, now just cause I've got a 20 year vision doesn't mean that I think about the challenges, opportunities, issues of, of achieving that. I've got no idea in hell how I'm going to achieve some of the things I want to achieve. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I know what I can commit to today and tomorrow and this week. And, and I, and I kind of think of it like, as long as I'm nudging towards that, and as long as I'm uh, open to the opportunities that present and will present themselves over that time, then I'm very much on the path. I don't worry about the outcome because I can only focus on what I do day in, day out. Yeah. And then really it starts from your imagination, right? If you got a big, beautiful goal in your imagination, because really everything around us starts from there. And yeah. we're really the only ones that have that ability that we know of. Um, if you don't go big, then you, it's, I don't know. It's just that growth is not there, right? Yeah. And you've got to be scared. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, a, you gotta be where there's, there's a balance between, you know, um, something that's achievable versus something that's, you know, totally out there that you don't believe yeah. in. Yeah. But, you have to um, believe. <laughs> yeah. We have to have, I mean, I, I, I did some work with Google a while back and um, I think everyone knows about the way they set goals. They have this, this whole concept of the moonshot. And, and the idea, and it's in their sort of performance framework, their sort of HR performance framework is, is that if you set a goal that's achievable, that that's not acceptable. And they, they like to have this figure of 70%. So you get your full bonus, let's say, if you achieve 70% of the goal that you've set and in terms of how you've measured the impact of that goal. And so the whole idea is that if, if, if people are still bonus, if you like, they get reward for yeah. high achievement. It's, it means that they're still setting something which is really difficult. And they, they feel that that methodology stretches people in the organization. It's so important to stretch people in that positive way. So that's, that, that is an excellent idea. Um, in your opinion, what, do, what qualities do great business leaders have? There's two. There's two that I, I've, I've noticed over time. And actually, if I think about my own personal leadership, what I've tried to develop in myself. And the first one is they have competency in what they're trying to achieve. Now, that doesn't mean they have mastery because mm -hmm. you know, I think we're all on a journey, but they have competency in terms of what they're trying to do. So, you know, competency can also be a mindset thing, a belief thing, as much as it can be the practicalities of it. But unless you know how to make decisions... They may not be the right decisions, but they're going to be, you know, informed. They're going to be kind of clear enough. Then, you know, first and foremost, no one's going to follow you, <laughs> right? Because yeah. they're not going to believe that you're going to be able to achieve it. Yeah. So company is the first thing. And the second thing is empathy, which is uh, something I've personally struggled with for years in my, my kind of corporate career because I was in a, in a sort of C-suite roles for sort of five years or so. So I was a chief marketing officer and then I was a CEO of a few companies. And empathy is hard because if you're a visionary leader and you're always looking forward, uh, it's very hard sometimes to connect in the present with everyone around you. And of course, if you don't do that, if you don't meet people where they are, mm -hmm. again, you become aloof and you become not effective and sometimes not authentic. Mm -hmm. So I think great leaders um, have competency, which, which as I said, under, underpins that kind of knowing, knowing what they're trying to do and the self-belief to follow through. But they also have that amazing ability to have empathy, to communicate, to be able to engage. And when you put those two things together, that's where you start to see some, some really extraordinary results. Very good. And actually making them believe in themselves as well as individuals. And it's easy. And I, I can reflect back when I was a chief exec and you know, could argue I am that now of my companies, I, I'm not as heavily involved as I was 
previously, but mm-hmm. you know, there's the old saying, it's lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was CEO of, of many investor backed businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I had all the staff below, if you like, you know, trying to work it out, you know, what was going on. And I had to sort of be accountable for them. And then you've got the investors asking all the tough challenges at the top. Everyone's worried that they don't want to put their um, foot out of place with the CEO, even though mm-hmm. be as empathetic as you like, you know, yeah. you're still the top guy. Yes. Um, so yeah, you're kind of pulled from pillar to post and, and that can start to dent confidence for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what defines a, a really valuable business, something that can go eight, nine figures? Yeah. So there is a degree here within the answer, which is momentum. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, to some extent, it's a little bit like if you ever watch any sporting team, you know, sometimes the team that hasn't got the best talent on the field or is destined to lose, if you look at it on paper, ends up winning the game because they, they, they managed to catch themselves in the moment and they, they have this kind of extraordinary levels of performance. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely momentum that comes into it because I find that the businesses that sell for really strong numbers, and, and it's mainly around the multiples. Like I, the last business I was involved in selling where I was the chief exec of the international uh, division, uh, we sold for $2.4 billion uh, and a 14 times profit. Mm-hmm. And 14 times profit is a, is a very good number. I mean, it's a big number. I mean, for mm-hmm. someone to pay that, it was Blackstone Private mm-hmm. Equity, you paid it. They have to look at it and go, wow, this is great. Yeah. So, so what it normally looks like is this. You have, um, again, your products, your service, that value proposition is unique, mm-hmm. it's differentiated, it's remarkable. Uh, it's not competing in the same space as everyone else is competing. Because again, if, if you compete in the same space as everyone else, it's not really about anything unique. It ends up being about price and price is always a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, there's that characteristic. Um, the second characteristic is it's either very profitable or can clearly identify where it can be profitable. So I've been involved in tech businesses that sell for, for just revenue multiples, but you can see what needs to happen over two or three horizons for profit to start to come in very quickly. And that's where... You know, you look at someone like Facebook when Facebook IPO'd, you know, it wasn't really making money around that point in time, but the the business plan, the strategy showed how it could make money and that was compelling and validated. And some people still thought that was risky, but, mm. you know, history tells the story of how right that was. Yes. So the potential is very important. The potential is very important as long as that differentiation exists. I mean, mm. in, in a very standardized way, Mm-hmm. Um, a business that's highly profitable and has high margins of profitability or conversely has low margins, but just heaps and heaps and heaps of scale, then they're the two areas where it's quite easy to then sort of calculate what they're worth. But they're the ones that do extraordinary things. And sometimes probably the last characteristic is, is what the brand stands for, you know, because brand is often a determinant of both future and and sort of past value and i remember i forget the number the sums but reebok was bought by adidas many many years ago now and reebok at that point was was not profitable mm-hmm. but you know the value that adidas saw in it was the value that they could add so they paid more money than it was worth but then they positioned it around um things like crossfit and, okay. and so, so so when you think about it value is a really hard thing to determine there's a mathematical um uh way of calculating it, Mm -hmm. but it's very much about what the person buying sees in it. The trick though, and this is important, is if you buy a business, certainly how I spoke about at the beginning of this conversation, Mm -hmm. don't pay for the value you're going to add. 
you only pay for the value that's being created by the person mm. who currently owns it. It's the person, it's the people that creates the company, right? Yeah. Not well, the actual building. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's the people. It, it does start with, with having a very clear back to purpose, you know, and mm. vision. It does start mm. with having someone who has, you know, the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to solve a problem, mm-hmm. you know, and if you can solve a problem in a really, as I said, in a really outstanding way that no one else can do, that's where, that's where value starts to really come from, from that, that first piece. Amazing. And so how important is mindset compared to, you know, business skills or experience? So this is, I, I, I say, okay, I might be a lone voice. The mindset is, you know, at least 70% of the game, if not all. Yeah, I, for me, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's like a foundation, like without yeah. the right mindset, you know, it's. Well, you're not going to, you're not going to win. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it this way, both are important. So I talk about mindset and skill set. Mm-hmm. and you know, the thing with skill set, right. Is you can, if you're a great leader, you can bring in the experience. You can find the yeah. people galvanize that mm. you need to have some skill right but your skill is normally about the clarity of vision direction building teams the heartbeat the heart behind it yeah someone has to the way i talk of it is like you know when a rocket takes off you know most of the energy happens at that sort of that that takeoff piece and then once it gets outside the atmosphere it's kind of continues but mm. someone has to have that energy and that spark to get the thing off the ground i agree 100 percent. yeah and, and so sorry go ahead no, I was going to say that, that that's the most important piece to it, I think. And mindset, unless that, just to finish it, unless that leader has a rock solid mindset, mm-hmm. you know, certainty, belief, is prepared mm-hmm. to roll with the punches, mm-hmm. uh, it's very, very hard to get to really high levels of success, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree 100%. Mindset for me, like I feel it just changes lives and changes situations, not just in business, but personal life as well, right? Because when you're an entrepreneur, you always have that component of that personal life that you have to manage. And with the right mindset, I feel like it gets easier at home as well. It comes back to, um, you know, we talk about leadership maybe in the context of business, but leadership is, is, is applicable anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so the identity of how you show up in everything, you know, your personal life, on the sporting field, obviously in business, friends, family, you know, how you manage your day, whatever it is, all of those things are around identity and leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's an old saying, I don't know who said it first, but that whole idea that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. As above, I, as below. Yeah. I believe that. Right. You know, there's yeah, me days too. where I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect every single day, right? None mm-hmm. of us are, but mm-hmm. I understand what it takes to be successful more often than not because, because I have those standards. Yeah. So true. And on that note, we always like to ask our guests what your inner superpower is. What got you to this point? Oh, that's a great question. It's a great question. Don't, you don't have to, I don't want to put you on the spot, but just no, something, no, I can answer it. No, no. Yeah, something that, that you feel <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the two, the two things that I'm exceptionally good at, I suppose, more than, more than others is grit and focus. And very closely aligned to that is, um, is a really high degree of intuition, which is the reason I wouldn't say intuition first is because it's a little bit, you know, woohoo and, and a little bit objective, but it's a feeling and I trust that feeling, but I've run, um, 67 marathons, 24 ultra marathons, hundred mile races. I've put my mind and my body through extreme, uh, adversity 
And that's allowed me to, to look at things maybe differently than some people. So something that's challenging to one person for me, because I've, I've trained myself to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I can see the pathway to the, to a solution, but again, it's training, right? It's not, it's I wasn't born with it, but, no. but it is no. a superpower versus maybe most other people. And you have to train those higher mental faculties, right? You trained your will, you trained your intuition, you know, and with time, you could actually build these higher mental faculties to serve you more. Yeah, so it, a lot of it excellent. comes back to discipline. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the one thing I say is everything that I either advise the people that I mentor to do or the businesses that I work with to do, none of it's rocket science. It's incredibly simple. Mm-hmm. But simple doesn't mean it's easy. No. Okay. And it's just as easy to do, you know, to do what you should be doing as it is to do what you shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, people choose the latter because, you know, fear, all these other different things that get in people's head. And that's why the mindset piece becomes so powerful because quite often, quite often it's just about doing the stuff that you know you should be doing, but doing it consistently. And that's when you start to see the results. Yeah. And that's so important to have that alignment. Yeah. And again, you know, again, all these things, are possible like we're all humans it's not like you know Mm -hmm. we might be born with certain things that are more developed than others there are certain certainly natural gifts that we have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you know ultimately i believe that if you want something bad enough you can get to a certain level of back to competency Mm -hmm. but you might have to work at it you might have to be committed to it and focused Mm -hmm. yeah human beings are very powerful beings so you know we're creative beings so to have those strengths and to build on them you could do anything we could do anything that we put our right. mind to. I fully yeah. believe that. Mm-hmm, me too. And just before we, you know, end the call, um, is there any kind of recommendation you can give a listener that's listening in that can help them in their journey? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a couple of different thoughts, right? Probably the one thing that, and I'll kind of give you more of a kind of personal view mm-hmm. is that if anyone's listening to this right now and they feel that they're stuck in a situation, you know, it could be a job that they don't like um, and they, they don't really know why, mm-hmm. but they know it's not right. My advice to them is, is to really explore what does feel right. You know, mm-hmm. if, that, if that's been that you've always wanted to start a business or you've always wanted to do something different mm-hmm. um, and something's holding you back, you need to un, unpick the scab now, if that's the best way of saying it, because yeah. that's kind of what I did. And I was on a pathway to something I didn't like. And then I had to go and go into a deeper place to work out what I, my true passion was. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that if people repress that, if they don't face that, if they don't answer that question, it's going to come back and get them in some way later, be that health, be that regret. And so my advice to people is if you're listening to this now and you're thinking, God, I need, I really need to go somewhere different. Yeah. You know, perhaps this is the, the wake up call to, mm-hmm. uh, to go and do that. I agree hundred percent. I had a journey. I had to change it. So I totally get what you're saying, Nick, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, you know, you have a great personality, great information, and I'm so uh, grateful that you, you came on the show. And I also have a great camera. You have an amazing camera. As we started off the conversation with that. I know. Yes, definitely. I'm looking forward to those links. Always looking to improve. No worries. Listen, thanks very much for having me on the show today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.